you don't need to smell people to work with them or to talk with them. And it's, of course, that's tongue in cheek, but I actually feel quite strongly that that is how you should think about it in the sense that you don't lose much else. Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm Harold. And this is Yo Manage. That was Joop van der Voort talking about being able to smell your colleagues because he's so passionate about remote working. Joop has worked remotely for years when he was a VP of product at GitLab. And now, in fact, he is the founder and CEO of a startup that's all about remote working. It's called Remote. It helps companies hire a workforce globally without having to worry about kind of the HR and payroll and compliance issues. They handle all of that. And so you can hire and grow your team and your business and focus on that and not have to worry about the logistics. So he really is the expert on remote working. And that's something that I think we're all dealing with now, right? Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because you think about two years ago, this idea of remote was very niche, right? And all of a sudden, everyone was working remotely. And as managers and young managers were kind of thrown into these situations where, okay, we were already trying to figure out how to manage our teams face-to-face. And now there's this extra challenge, extra layer of having to do that in a remote environment. Absolutely. And it's definitely something I've struggled with over the past year. It's so different to, to shift from being able to um, especially building rapport and having that connection with people in person to doing it all over Zoom, to doing it remotely, having to be really conscious about how I build that relationship, how how I work with them um, is quite novel for, for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and one of the things that I care a lot about is how to build and maintain company culture. And especially if, it, let's say, someone joining a new team for the first time? How do you get them embedded in that culture immediately when you can't see them, when you can't, you know, have that orientation where they can feel the energy of the leaders in the room? So very interesting challenges. And um, hopefully today we will get some answers on how we can address those challenges. So that's why we're turning to the expert, Yope. Welcome, Yope. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you were were remote working or in a distributed team at GitLab. And I guess you loved it so much that you left that to start up a company that's all about remote working. What made you so passionate about it? That's a great question. And that was exactly the reason why I started remote. Um, I never really understood why, if you can do all your work on the internet, on a computer, why you have to go sit in an office to do so? Especially like in my lifetime, I'm not that old. So in my lifetime, that's been basically always possible. And when we started GitLab, it worked so incredibly well, remote work, and there were not really any downsides. Like I was expecting that there were going to be obvious downsides to remote work, and there weren't any. I think the only thing that I gained was just immense freedom. Freedom to, one, because remote work forces flexible time, right? At the moment you have people all over the world. So I got freedom in terms of how I spend my time. I got freedom in where I live, um, and that... Just those two things and then not having to commute, et cetera, those are massive freedoms. Like it, it, very quickly with like that switch, your life becomes very different. Your life transforms from a Monday to Friday. My schedule and my even my location is fully determined by my employer to a situation where work is a facet of my life and maybe an important facet, but it's not my life. Like my life is far greater than that. And if I, for example, want to, the simplest example, I want to work out a lot. I want to train for a marathon in a remote organization. I should be able to just actually train during the day. You know, I don't have to really worry about 
well, you know, I have to either do it before and then I have to get a start to commute or I have to do it after work. And of course, that's for people, you know, with simple lives that can worry about training for a marathon. Now I have kids and, you know, <laughs> that goes, you know, 10x that. Or if you have a situation where you have to take care of a loved one, it just makes so much sense, remote work. And so, yeah, I left GitLab specifically to help organ other organizations try to become fully remote and, and, and reap those benefits. So you had mentioned that there were downsides that you thought there were. What would be some of those misconceptions that you think people typically have of working remotely? And that was debunked um, by that experience you had. I think from highest level, it's just the ability to do so, to, to not have an office or it is required to collaborate, for example, to, to be together in person. I, I tend to make this joke about, you know, you don't need to smell people to work with them or to talk with them. Of course, that's tongue in cheek, but I actually feel quite strongly that that is how you should think about it in the sense that you don't lose much else. Like, I, I think the misconception is that to work together, you need to be in the same time and place together. And that's just not true. Most of your work you do by yourself at your desk, right? And then you just, that is, you know, there's meetings in between that and there might be sessions where you collaborate with others, but you can actually do those remotely just fine. And it's not to say that it's not nice to be together in person, but it's not required. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are, are discovering conveniently, I suppose, through the pandemic that those misconceptions are indeed misconceptions. Um, I think a lot of managers, I think ourselves included, have had to learn to shift to a completely distributed um, approach to managing teams. What would your top, say, three tips be for managers who are having to make this transition? And I think even a year in, people are still, still, still struggling with some aspects of it. It highly depends on your situation and what you're struggling with, right? Like, I think number one would be fully embrace it. So don't try to replicate the offers, but rather think like, if I start from scratch, how would I design working together with other people? How would I design being a manager? What are the fundamental requirements that I have of that? And then independent of what those are, you will find a way that to make it work for you, right? And it, of course, depends on a lot of different factors, but fundamentally, like, what do you need to do? And then from there, start writing more. I think there's a lot of interactions that happen in an office, which is pure information sharing at different levels, right? Sometimes it's high level and visionary to, to a larger group, for example. Sometimes it's just really small things. Hey, I finished that thing. All of those things, whenever you're sharing something, information, it's not required to have a meeting for that, right? Like, and that's essentially what you do in an office. When you walk up to someone and you tell them about something, that is not a minor thing because they might be working on something. You take their focus away. You demand their, it sounds strong, but that's really what you do. You demand their attention by doing that. And that disappears with remote work, which is a benefit if you treat it as such. And so, yeah, start working asynchronously is really number <laughs> number two. If you find yourself in meetings all day, you're doing it wrong. Lastly, I would say maybe the, the best third one is, is that you have to find ways to compensate for the things that you actually do lose without an office, which is the little interactions that you have in between work, right? When you see someone at the coffee machine or the water cooler. And this is not necessarily to talk about serendipity or about collaboration, but more so about getting to know your colleague, uh, colleagues, bonding with them, socializing with them. Those kind of moments, it's actually worth to spend more time on that and be more intentional about how you create those kind of moments and interactions with your colleagues and your reports. So what would be some of the ways that you would try to replace or replicate those moments that you would otherwise physically, right? By the water cooler or getting coffee. Yeah, I think there's not a prescribed way to do it. I think we're still figuring out what like what is the good a good way to do this. 
But there are many different things you can do and you should try. The simplest way, literally, to just get on a call with someone and say, let's have a coffee chat, right? I think this is something that people have slowly become comfortable in doing over the last year or so, which is you just hang out with someone for half an hour and you try to not talk about work. And other ways that I like to play games with my colleagues, I think that works really, really well. Um, and it can be something simple like Pictionary, which is the biggest hit at remote or something else, mm. you know, something more elaborate or something specific. I think, I think bonding over an activity that distracts you as well, that, that helps. Um, and then from there, whatever else you feel like, it, it's, it can be all sorts of ways. I think getting together in person, if you're able to, is still a really great way to do this, of course. But then there's also other things like VR. We shipped everybody VR headset at remote and we hang out there. That works really well as well. And it's, you know, on the grand scale of things, not actually that expensive to do. Is it something that you find that people, new managers who maybe joined remote or previously at GitLab, is that something they struggled with or it kind of came naturally? I think everybody struggles a little bit with it because you mm -hmm. have to be so intentional about it, right? Yeah. Like there's very few people that have experience building remote organizations and especially doing that at scale. And so, and then, and then there's not an history of it. We've not been watching gangster movies where, you know, everybody's working remotely. No, it's, <laughs> it's always everybody's in the office, right? In every movie from the past hundred years. Um, that's what everybody has been doing. So everybody struggles a little bit with it and there's not a single solution for it. I think you just gave Hollywood scriptwriters a great idea for a next movie, some gangster movie done through Zoom or something. <laughs> that one we've never seen. <laughs> I imagine like this, those those 50s movies, you know, with those, like where they are all smoking in the office. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think one question I've always had, and you, you kind of talked about how you can try to replicate those physical moments was for, for our company where uh, the company I'm at, it's a fast growing kind of scale up um, startup and culture is always very fragile. And in, in our opinion, it's already hard enough as a company that's not remote. And so how would you, do you have ideas or advice uh, to companies try to maintain and build culture in a remote environment? Because for, for me, culture goes beyond just um, having the coffee chats and whatnot. Sometimes I feel seeing your leaders in a room, seeing how they interact, how they come to decisions, having those live physical uh, interactions actually helps you see what this culture culture to this company means, especially because culture, a lot of it is top down and seeing your leaders there in, in those live discussions. Um, so what would be your view and your tips on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Again, you have to be very intentional about this. Being very transparent as an organization, and it doesn't have to be to the public world, but at least internally transparent helps a lot with this. Because I agree, I think that if you feel like you have a strong culture or you have very strong values, you should be able to talk about them very regularly, nearly daily, daily if possible. Actually, right after this recording, we have a manager session at our organization and we're going to talk about what's working well and what is not going to work well. And how we're framing that is exactly around the values that we have as an organization. So in terms of our values, how are we doing well? And in terms of other values, how are we not doing well? And I think that is a really good way to think about you know, building a foundation for culture and, and in general, being very transparent about the way you operate, the reason why you make decisions, exactly as you said, that goes a really long way. And I think the nice thing about working remotely is that you're forced to think about solutions that allow people to listen, to read or to learn about decisions and processes, even if they were not in the room at the moment. 
which is very unlikely because they are probably sleeping. You know, we are many hours apart. <laughs> we are seven hours apart already. And so it's likely that I make a decision today where mm. you guys will be sleeping. Well, <laughs> it would be a shame if we work together that you would actually miss out on it. And so in a way, it becomes easier to share those things more widely. And to, But you, as a leader in a, in a remote organization, you have to be very intentional again about being transparent and talking about these kind of things. And I agree with you that culture comes from top down. And so if leadership doesn't actively participate, doesn't actively think and work on the company culture, yes, it's it's going to be very fragile or, or non-existent. You've talked a lot about kind of intentionality aspect of it. And I mean, there there is a challenge here, right? People are having to to learn and shift their ways of working. And when you're kind of recruiting or interviewing, are there traits that you're looking for that you think someone might not have done this before, but you can spot those traits and say, okay, they're ready to to manage a team um, remotely? I think, again, we, we link back to our values here and our values are created so that we create the kind of organization that we want to see. Our values are kindness, ownership, excellence, transparency, and ambition. And we specifically ask questions that help us get an idea of well, is this the kind of person that aligns with our values? And and if not, that's actually a great reason to say, well, we decide to not hire this person because we find that they are, from their past interactions and from the references we did, they're maybe not a kind person, which is, you know, poison to your culture. So I think that is fundamentally how to do it. For years, I've hired hundreds of people and I, I never really cared about whether someone worked remotely prior because I fundamentally believe that that is not necessary. If you if you can communicate well, that basically solves all the needs. I, I also don't think that there is a large fundamental difference to a great manager and, and a great remote manager. I think those are the same people. I think one of them is just working from home or somewhere else. Kind of related to this, I think what we're going to see is post-COVID, companies will shift to more of a hybrid model, right? They'll have more flexibility about working remotely, but they'll still have office hubs. Do you think that's a model that that can work? I think it can work, but it's extremely difficult. And so I think for an organization, you have to decide, what do you mean with hybrid? Are you going to have people that work permanently for the, from the office or is an office like an opt-in kind of deal where if you want, you can come to the office, but if there's not one near you, you don't have to. I mean, that's a very important distinction to be made. What is not going to work is if you have a part of the company is always in the office and a part of the company is always out of the office. Because what is going to happen is that the, the team that's in the office, they are going to get along much better. They will have much more information available to each other. Because what is required of them is that 100% of the time they work remotely. They work as if they're all remote and they're not together in the same room. And it's almost impossible to, to actually to do that. And even then they get the advantage of, you know, going out for lunch with each other every single day. And then, you know, you can't resist talking about work and suddenly you transmit a whole bunch of information, which should really have been written down, or you make a bunch of decisions, which really should have been written down or recorded somehow. It's really hard to make that work. I think the best kind of organizations, they act as if they're always remote and they might have offices or not in which you can go. I think that's the only way it's actually going to work. I think the alternative is going to lead those companies to conclude, well, remote work doesn't work because the people that work remotely are less effective. And they probably will be less effective because they will have less access to information and people and because those people are, you know, having meetings, sitting next to each other instead of doing it on Zoom. 
I actually have a personal experience with that because I was in quarantine and I had this sense of FOMO because everyone else was meeting in person. And it was just me on Zoom in these meetings and they can't hear me. I just, it was actually a very stressful um, situation. And even like in terms of hardware, we're not there. Exactly as you were saying, like if you're the one person that's like remote, they also didn't call for Zoom, you're on the screen, it doesn't work really well. I once did an executive, we did an executive offsite with GitLab. Most, all the team was in person in one place. I just had a new baby, so I couldn't fly to wherever they were. So I was remote. And the thing is, is that if you're in an intense discussion, it's impossible to get in there because there's a delay of, you know, 50 milliseconds, right. but it's sufficient for, to make it impossible for you to speak up. Yeah. Then we add with that, you know, the little audio differences and, you know, maybe okay. the speaker's not too loud or there's like a, you know, a hitch in the internet. So the only way we sometimes would make this work at GitLab was if there was a group of people in person, they would all open their laptop, put their headphones on and be in Zoom talking. I used to do the same thing at Uber, actually. And I think even hearing you talk about it now, I mean, what we're solving for is a problem that we've always had, probably, right? That local offices felt disconnected from regional offices, regional offices felt disconnected from headquarters. There wasn't enough information sharing and connection across these offices. And uh, when I was working at Uber, we were so, we weren't like a remote team, but we were globally distributed. We had to work across borders all the time. And we had to solve for these problems. And it's almost, uh, in a way, it's like a, a great forcing factor <laughs> that we we have to solve for on all these new ways and be thoughtful about it in all these new ways because we've always had to work across borders. So you've said kind of being a manager, whether you're mobile or in person, really draws on the same skills. So just in general, in, in your own experience as a manager, what's something that you wish you had known earlier in your in your own management career? Ooh, that's a good question. I think being a manager is a delicate balance between coaching someone, providing support and unlocking them, but sometimes also challenging someone, right? I think there's managers that are very great servant leaders, but sometimes forget the leadership part of it where, where you have to provide direction, but sometimes you have to provide pressure as well, right? And that it, it sounds very negative. The work connotation with pressure is very negative, but I think there's a, a value in saying like, let's try to achieve this ambitious goal. Let's really try to go for it, or let's try to do better than what we did before. Or, let's try to do better than what we have now. That balance, I think is hard to strike, but it's important that you do both sides of it. And you don't, you're not just a part of like taking away pressure or purely making it easy to report to you. I think your job is to to also challenge people and try to make them better. And I always like to think about this, like if you have reports, one of the best ways you can serve them, especially if they do well in their current function, is to try to train them to replace you. Even if they don't have management ambition, still like how do you can get them to level up and really uh, exceed in that sense? I think if you don't do that, what, what you will feel is you unless you have people that are incredibly good at like motivating themselves and like continuously exceeding is that you might feel that there's never a lot of excitement or like intensity and i think intensity sometimes is good especially if you're building you know products one thing we like to ask um, our guests once in a while is a manager aha moment and the aha moment we describe as you know the first time Maybe you tried something um, different in terms of your management style or you added a framework or something to your management toolkit. You tried it and you realize, wow, this is, it actually works or it brought value to me as a manager or to my direct reports. Was there something that brought you that aha moment as a manager in your career so far? Very early on in my career, and I was still working in, in science, I had a manager of mine that told me, 
in no uncertain terms that if you deal with something, if you work on a product, if you are facing a particular challenge, if you want to do a good job, you have to deeply understand your problem better than anybody else. And until you're at that point, you can't seriously expect to address it or solve the problem that you might be facing. And I thought I knew and I understood what that meant. But the nice thing time with him was, is that he would press you on it. He would ask, you know, and this was in science specifically. So he would press us on, okay, so what does this graph mean? Okay, so how, how what, is, what are formulas used to uh, create this graph? Yeah. It, that went really, really far. And at, at the time it was very stressful, but that laid such a strong foundation for my thinking later in life about, you know, how do you know whether you're actually addressing something? How do you, do you actually come at this from first principles? And so I'm not sure if it's like a manager uh, aha moment, mm -hmm. but that learning I've shared with every one of my reports since then, or at least that kind of philosophy, which is, do you really understand what you're dealing with? And if not, like, let's go deeper. Let's go much deeper to understand, like, is there a real reason why we should be doing this? Is there a real reason? Do we understand the fundamentals of this? And yeah, I think I think that's the one thing that that really worked for me. And I think every time I've applied that later on in life, and especially now at remote where I'm the CEO, so I have only executives reporting to me, that's been very valuable. And, I, and I've had a few moments where I felt like, where I showed them like, well, but why are you doing this in the first place? You know, sometimes the problem seems very large and then someone com comes to you with that problem and you're like, well, but should you be addressing this at all? Is this actually important for us to solve as a business, for you to solve as a leader or whatever else? Ah, that, that one's really stuck to me. <laughs> in, in that moment, do you, do you feel like your, your job is to kind of keep pushing until, until you get that clarity? I think it's not my job to push them. I think it's my job to learn them to, to teach them to, for them to do that themselves. That's how I, I really want to get to the point that everybody that reports to me, I don't expect them to think the same way, but I do expect them to have like the same handles on, on problems, which is evaluating from a much higher level or more like a first principle kind of basis. Why is this important? And I think this is important in a remote organization environment because you don't have the office context. You know, you don't do things just because we've been doing them. You basically have to reinvent how we run a company. And so it's good to evaluate, do we actually need to do a thing, you know, whether it relates to running the company or, or something very specific. That is what it is. I think it's coaching the people that report to me to have those kind of tools at their hand and to, you know, not do things just because we have been doing things like that or whatever else. You know, one of the things that I think becoming a new manager, new managers struggle with is they don't know who to turn to, to learn how to be a manager. Um, thinking back, what were your resources? Like, was it your managers? Was it, you know, friends, peers? Like, what what were your resources? Uh, yeah, I think there were a few things. I think at first it were, were my own managers that, that like taught me to, you know, get better. Over time later, I had an uh, executive coach as well. And then over time, and I think nowadays it's mostly... Peers. It's not a lot of time that I spent with with peers, but it's good to once in a while, once a week or so, speak with someone in a very similar situation or adjacent situation, or that's a little bit further than you. And I think you see this in the world of startups a lot, where you know you have a startup of a certain size, and you speak with someone that's a slightly larger startup, and all the problems that you feel are like, well, you know, it's a giant mess at my company, and I have all these problems that are unique to me, and I don't understand all of this. And then you speak with them, and they're like, yeah. 
it's exactly the same with me. Just like our company yeah. is twice the size and I have four times that amount of problems. You know, I think that is very, very helpful. Speaking to people, especially if they're like not the exact same situation, not like same size company, not the same kind of product, because then you start to think, well, yeah, but this problem is unique to my industry. I think one of the things you learn as a CEO, especially as your company starts to grow, once you get into the tens of employees, is that you spend almost all your time with people problems, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's not to say that people are bad. It's just the nature of having a lot of people, right? Hearing other founders, other leaders, other managers talk about that, I I always found very good. And sometimes they give you really great advice, right? Like that. But also, I'm a big fan of having coaches, having an executive coach, or um, sometimes it's even just a, a therapist, for example. That that can be really helpful because you know the fundamental thing of this is all just you know people interacting. I think what you just said is perfect because that's almost exactly what we think of when we create this podcast is we want people to be able to hear from other people who've had the same problems, who've had the same experiences and what they learn from it because that is something that that we felt like we've lacked. Um, that's something we turn to each other for. So before we go, Yop, I just want to give you the chance to share, you know, where should people go to find more about you and also to learn more about remote? Yeah, uh, thanks. To find me, it's on Twitter at uh, J-O-B-V-O. And um, the company remote.com. You can't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so Thank much, you so for, much your for your time. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That was a really interesting chat with Yope about everything working remote and also about being manager in general. And I really think what he said towards the end really resonated with me. This big idea that he has carried from one of his early jobs and now he spreads in his organization the necessity of understanding a problem really deeply, understanding the first principles before trying to solve it. And I think that philosophy of his is reflected in how he thinks about remote working, right? He says, you can't just replicate what you were doing in the office and just copy and paste it into a remote environment to really think about, you know, what is it that we're actually trying to solve? What's that problem? And the way we've been doing things might actually not be the right process for that. And I think he gives a couple of good examples. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the first great example that he provided was this idea of writing more. And I think that really comes down to when we communicate in a workplace, we we also have to understand right? what what are the reasons, what's the problem we're trying to solve for when we're communicating. And often when we're in office together, we might default to, say, setting up a meeting or walking over to someone's desk. And when we are working remotely, working from home, working across time zones even, we're forced to really think deeply, what's the actual best way to achieve it? And what Yope has learned and um, you know something that maybe we should all consider is is writing more because writing forces you to sit down and deeply think about the problem. Writing creates a document that people can refer to even if they were not in the same room with you or not in the same time zone as you. And writing provides all these benefits that even, you know, whether you're working remote or even in the same office, um, we can really benefit from that. And second, I think um, it was a question I had for him, which is, how do you build culture when you're in a remote environment? And it goes back to kind of the same concept of communicating and writing more where he says, just be transparent, right? When when leaders make decisions, share it, share how they arrive at decisions. So even people who are not in that room, they can read it and process it 
in their own time. And that's how you can continue to spread culture um, and get people to understand how your leaders are thinking and making decisions. That culture still spreads. And the third thing he said was about being really deliberate and conscious about how to connect with people. You know, we can't just rely on running into someone in a hallway anymore. We have to really think about setting up those coffee chats, those casual conversations where we don't talk about work. And this is definitely something that's, you know, a recurring theme in our podcasts is you have to build that personal connection and that rapport with the direct report before you can achieve other things, before you can have career conversations, before you can really understand what makes them tick. And I think this is so valuable to to think about. And again, it's right, this idea that you have to be so intentional and go back to the first principles about something because even in the office, it was easy to kind of fall back on small talk in the kitchen or we happen to run into somebody and ask about their weekend, but maybe someone's really quiet and they sit at your desk all the time and you're never going to run into them. They're never going to spark up a casual conversation with you. They're never going to ask you out to lunch. And we too have to make a deliberate effort to connect with those people. So I think it's another thing where being remote forces us to think about it, but really it's um, a, a bigger question of how do we be intentional as managers, period. Yeah, exactly. And whether or not people are going to stay remote or they will go back um, to being in the office, I think there are things that we learned from being remote um, where we learn to be better communicators, being more intentional with connecting to co- with colleagues that we should take with us even back to the office, right? Maybe there were bad habits that we never realized were bad habits until we had to work remotely. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. What have you learned from having to work from home, having to work remotely? Um, what are the struggles you've had? What are the things you want to take back even when you return to the office. I think all of those things are really interesting. They, they really shed new light on our management experiences. And if you could share them with us, we'd love to feature those questions or, or comments or experiences in our podcast. If you can email us at feedback at yourmanage.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, um, share it with your friends and colleagues who also, you know, may benefit from learning about remote management and working in remote environments and make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we're here to reassure you, you'll you'll manage. manage.